Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org, where you will find several speaker feeds with over 800 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. The opinions expressed on the Light a Candle podcast are those of individual OA members and do not represent OA as a whole. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Gail. Good afternoon. My name is Gail P. I'm a compulsive overeater, 100 pounder. Thank you for asking me to speak, Susan. Congratulations. Welcome to everybody who's here. Congratulations. So I want to do the normal every day, um, what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. But first, I'll qualify. I came into Overeaters Anonymous February 20th, 1989. My top known weight is 265 and I'm 100 pounder. Um, I'm not sure if my top weight just my top known weight because when I walked in the doors, I found out how much I weighed. I could have been heavier. I think I was, but I have pictures. And you'll see. I probably was, you know, hitting 300. I'm not, not sure. I wasn't conscious enough to weigh myself and actually register it. So, what it was like as a 100 pounder was. I'm not supposed to swear, but it was like living in hell. That's not swearing if you say it that way. Um, There's a saying that says that um, religion is for people that are afraid to go to hell and spirituality is is for people that have been in hell. I have been in hell. I have been absolutely in hell. And um, I will give an example. My eating disorder, I always had a kind of a strange um, relationship with food. I thought there was something wrong with everybody else that was normal, though. I didn't think there was anything wrong with myself. I was bigger than everybody else in school, um, even when I was eight years old. I thought there was something wrong with my girlfriends because they could eat one scoop of something and I couldn't. I thought that was something wrong with them. Never occurred to me that they were, I had a problem, ever. You know, but I did. Um, I want to give an example of what it was like um, when I was in my, I came into Overeaters Anonymous at age 37. So in my early 30s, I lived in a condo in Studio City. And it was the kind where you buzz people in, they walk around the maze to, the, you know, to where my apartment was, my condo was. What I would have to do in the disease was I could buzz somebody in. I would have to down a box of cereal before I could have the nerve to open the door. I was so scared of everything. So I would eat the box of cereal, open the door, and then blow out, when I'd say hello, blow out all the, all the, um, the residue from the cereal. But that was my life. I had no choice. I had to eat. I had to. I had no choice. I couldn't stop. I would take a clock and say, okay, five more minutes, five more minutes, just five more minutes of binging, then I could stop. Five more minutes, and then I couldn't stop. So that was what my life was like. And what it looked like was I was 240 pounds in high school, which was not a healthy thing to be because um, it was just a nightmare. There was inappropriate dating. It was never like a normal thing where I would go to the prom and I would do normal, normal everyday things that other people did. My relationships sucked. They all sucked, they, they, if I had any at all. I had no relationship with my family at all. Um, it was just a mess. I was just a mess. Uh, what else What else could I say? I just could not stop eating. So I spent my my teen years, work, I started working when I was 12, and guess where? 
my father's cousin's bakery because we grew up poor and I needed to help the uh, family make money. So I um, started working in my father's cousin bakery, which probably wasn't, <laughs> it was the only place that would obviously hire me, but that was where I found my love of my life at the time, which was baked goods. So I'll, let me tell you about my abstinence real fast, just so you know. I abstain 100% from flour to this day. Um, my abstinence, is, I'm going to talk about it when I talk about my recovery, but I have 30 years of abstinence now. Um, 30 and a half, actually, because the 21st of August was 30 and a half years. And um, so, back to it. So, it was hell. It was hell. My whole social life was hell. Everything was hell. The only thing that I was successful at was my job. I was very successful at what I did for a living. So, you get the point. It was, wasn't a pretty sight. It wasn't pretty. So, I um, moved out of my parents' house when I was 20, got an apartment, and my apartment had a stove that always had a pot of spaghetti on it, because so I could go and just take a, a little, you know, nibble when I, every time I walked back and forth, because so I needed to stay calm, and that's the only thing that calmed me down. So you got the point. You have the point. I don't want to talk about, you know, disease. You would not be here, except my husband's here, and he's not one. He's not a compulsive overeater, but he's here because he's with me, obviously. But, um, but other, otherwise, you're not going to be here on a Saturday night unless you know what it's like. So you know. So I'm looking at my phone to see the time. So I want to talk about what happened. What happened was in um, December of 1988, I was at a Hanukkah party at my friend's house with all her friends that were in N.A. And who was there but my Eskimo Jack Saul, who everybody probably knows here. And I knew him in high school. And he weighed 325, and I told you I was 240 pounds in high school. And he was thin drinking a cup of coffee in a styrofoam cup. And so I'll, I'll just tell you why I'm saying that in a second. So anyway, so I said to him, Hi, Jack, why are, why are you not eating? Because, you know, I ate in front of people. I was not a sneak eater, but especially at parties, you know, there was a, lots of food on the coffee table, and I was sitting on the floor at the coffee table indulging. And he said, I don't eat between meals. And I thought, what's wrong with <laughs> That's what I thought. So I told you that I blame, I thought something was wrong with everybody else. But he, was, he seemed happy. So anyway, I was dating somebody. I wasn't married at the time, obviously. Um, I was dating somebody that was an N.A. And I wanted to speak their language because I was hanging around with everybody at N.A. So I thought, okay, well, I don't take drugs. I don't drink alcohol. I never have. I've never done either. Um, what can I do to learn their language, but I knew that, um, that I was bigger than everybody else. I knew that. I knew I, I, knew I weighed a lot. I knew I, I wore like a, you'll see the dress, it was like size 28 dress. So I knew something was, you know, I was bigger than everybody else. So I thought, I'll go, I'll go to Jack and ask him what he did, how he got so thin, what's going on. And so he told me about OA. I never heard of it before. I don't think I ever heard about it before. I don't, I don't think. And I thought, okay, I'm going to go there and learn your language because you speak different than the rest of the people. So I um, asked Jack. They did not have email in 1989 or anything like that, as far as I know. So he mailed me a program, you know, um, of all the a meeting list, and he mailed it to me probably at the end of December. And come February 20th, I, I went to the first meeting. I don't know why it took me so long. I think this is all divinely guided because I would never have thought to do this. But it was kind of like I never never thought I would lose weight. I never, never, never considered it. But I went to my first meeting and I got 
um, just welcomed by a lot of lovely women. And they took me to a meeting on, that was, that was in the Valley, they took me to a meeting on 3rd in Orlando, which is my hood in the city. I live in the Valley, but they took me over the hill, and I got a sponsor. And I started working the program right away. And she told me what to eat, and I ate it. And I'm telling you that working the steps in the beginning was really hard. It was hard being told what to do, hard being told I was powerless. That was the hardest because I was very successful at work. I, w- I ran companies. I, r- I ran million-dollar companies. I'm an accountant. And you're telling me I'm powerless? That's not possible because I felt very powerful. I felt like my girth was going to keep me safe from everything in the world. That's what I thought. So I thought, how could you tell me I'm powerless? So I got really very sad for a while. And I don't know if it was because I gave up foods or it was because I felt sad being power- saying I was powerless. But I, didn't, I couldn't even like fathom how um, my life was unmanageable. I couldn't even fathom such a thing in my life. I never, it never occurred to me. I had no relationships with my family. My friends, you know, my calendar looked like this. It would have a calendar with the time and the restaurant and never had who I was going with because I didn't care who I was going with. I didn't, I didn't connect. I only connected with food. I didn't connect with people. So I would put down, and RJ's was on um, Beverly Drive at the time, and so every Friday night was R- 7 o'clock RJ's, but I never put down who I went with because, as I said, it wasn't important to me who I went with. I just thought I went. And I, get, they have, I don't know if you know it, but they had a lot, of, a lot of food, a lot of food, a lot of big food, dinosaur food, and a lot of um, dinosaur-sized food and um, big salad bars and all that stuff. So, so that's um, what happened. So I started working the steps, and a week after I started working the steps, this guy, I think his name was Dan. I'm not even sure at this point. Um, he dropped me because he said his sponsor told him he can't date newcomers. So, But by that time, I had been going to meetings every day, at least once or twice a day. I had my own business at that time, so I could go to meetings. I went to at least one or two meetings a day. I started doing fellowship with people and going out for meals. And so I heard about the tools, and the tools are you call somebody when you're upset. So I called somebody, and I still know who she is. I don't know if she's in program anymore. But she said, write and call me back. And she hung up. So I wrote. I remember writing and how horrible he is and blah, 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 blah. And I called her back, and I read her my writing. And I was abstinent, and I got through it. And I saw that if I do the tools, if I use the phone, and I do the writing, and I work the steps, I don't have to eat. Although that wasn't even, I just was so upset. So that's what I decided to do was like, you know, do what she said to do. I also had no sense of myself. So therefore, if she told me to do something, I did it. Because I didn't have, you know, I didn't want to, I didn't even know about my own will. So I can't say I don't want to be in my own will. I just didn't have a sense of myself yet. So I started working the steps with the lady that was in the valley. Now she asked me if she could sponsor me. And we started working the steps, and I told you it was really hard. Step The first part of step one, saying I was powerless, was hard. But I just kept – what I did and what I do today is – let me see the time. So I want to talk about now. But, um, hang on a second. I have time. Okay. So what I, what I did is I took the, – they didn't have OA um, literature at all because it was before they had any – except for that, the brown book. They didn't have any literature. So we took the AA 12 and 12 with a pen, black pen and a red pen. And I was to open the book, read a paragraph, cross out alcohol in red, and put food. Or when it said, like, plate in hand, a glass in hand, I would put plate in hand. And I would 
read that, cross out alcohol, put food or whatever it said about, you know, plate or whatever, and then I would do my writing on it. And so I started working the steps paragraph by paragraph by paragraph, sometimes, sometimes sentence by sentence. I still do that to this day, and I have sponsors do that. So, um, and then I, I didn't understand what I was even reading, because it's language I didn't even understand at the time. I just did what I was told. But one thing that I was, and I, I worked the first three steps with, the, with one sponsor, and then I switched sponsors. And I got a five-pounder, somebody who lost five pounds, and I was a hundred-pounder. And I got a five-pounder to sponsor me after that. And we worked all the steps together, and it was not very safe to give her my food, so I didn't. What happened was, is I, um, I, was, I weighed 260 pounds or so when I started with her, and she would tell me my portions of yogurt were too big. So, you know, the fact that I even heard of yogurt or put it in my mouth was like a miracle, and she's telling me that I was eating enough yogurt for two people because I was eating two containers. It's like that. Anyway, so she didn't know, obviously, a 100-pounder. A 100-pounder, you know, I could eat a cow, and she's telling me, you know, two containers of yogurt was too much food. So, anyway, so I just did not tell her my food, but I definitely worked the steps with her. And what she told me, and I'll never forget it, and I will always love her for it, she said, on page 53 of the big book, it says, either God is everything or God is nothing. What will you choose? And I never, ever considered God as anything because it was never in my consciousness ever, ever in my life. But I thought, okay, if it has to be something, it's going to be something. So, um... God is everything. So I had to start working my way of learning what that meant. And somebody named Ken in the Valley, he's a 100-pounder, older man, older than me, I think. Um, yes, he is older than me. He was speaking at Thalians on, on Friday nights. If anybody here has been around a long time, we used to have a, meeting, a big meeting on Friday nights at Cedars. And um, he was saying that if there is... If, if there is anything a person could do, like stop a wave, then he wants to see that because he uses whatever could stop a wave or make a wave is, his, is what his higher power is because he can't do it. So I thought that, that sounds right, but I have to figure out my own, my own entity of what that's going to look like. So I thought I cannot make a rainbow. I cannot put a rainbow in the sky, but I've seen rainbows. I love rainbows, but I've never put one in the sky before. There's something that does, and it's not me, and that's just going to be my higher power. You know, I call it God now, but, you know, I didn't care what it was. I just wanted to, um, I don't know what I wanted at the time. I was guided by God, I think, because I never thought, oh, yes, I want to wear a size 10 or 12. Yes, I want to do this. Yes, I want to do that. Yes, I want a better life. I didn't know I could have a better life. I didn't know what that even looked like. So I just thought, okay, God, God makes rainbows. I'm going to follow that God, and I'm going to learn to do God's will, because that's what it tells us to do, that it's our job to follow God's will, not our own. My disease is my own will, and that sucks. So I started doing that, just like I would write down, I would do all the steps, and then especially six and seven, I would look at my defects, I call them coping coping mechanisms, and I would um, write down the opposite, and then write a plan with how I would um, incorporate the asset into my life. So there was a, there was a, a negative, 
and it, which I was doing, and then there's a positive, and then I would learn how to do that, and I would strive for that. So I would, in different situations, strive for what the positive looked like. I still do that today because there's, you know, I, I live in a world, you know, that I need to constantly work the steps still. So that's what happened. That's how I got into OA, and it was divinely guided. I never thought I would lose an ounce. Never, never, and it was not even a wish. There was nothing I wished for like that. It, I, I, I was, I felt hopeless. So therefore, I wished for nothing. I never wished for a wedding. I never wished for anything. I never wished for a husband that I have now. You know. So I, was, I want to talk about my recovery now, what it's like now. So let me see the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I'm good. Okay. I'm good. Okay. So I, um, what it's like now. Well, I got, I met my husband who's over there. You can all look at him, wait to me. <laughs> I met my husband when I was nine years abstinent, and that was 21 and a half years ago. And by that time, I had worked in the program pretty hard, and I still do. And um, what it's like now is being in a relationship. I, I have everything I didn't even know existed. I have a lovely home, a lovely husband, a lovely family, wonderful friends, a really nice life. I'm retired now, um, and I want to talk about what my program looks like. So life is really good. I don't see anything that I have to change. As I said, I'm retired. I do a lot of service, but I want to talk about what I do on a daily basis. So on a daily basis, we get up around 7 o'clock in the morning. And I weigh myself every day. Maxine was my sponsor for many years. And she weighs herself every day, so I weighed myself every day. And I continue. So I weigh myself every day. We have breakfast. We read the paper. We talk or whatever. And then I go into my office, and I start doing my OA work. And what I do is I sit at the computer, and I write down my weight. What I ate yesterday, I check off to make sure I ate what I said I was going to eat. Cause I, but I, I, I email my, text my food or email my food to my sponsor every day. And what I do is I write it down on a, on a pad of paper, my weight, what I'm going to eat. And then what I do is I write down, so this is what I ate yesterday if it's the next morning, and then I write down what I'm going to eat today. And I start my email with, dear sponsor, I could tell you, her name's Colleen. So, dear sponsor, and I tell her my weight. I tell her what I ate yesterday, and it should match what I told her I was going to eat. And if it doesn't, I text her. And I might text her. We went to Disneyland last week, and I texted her every meal because I had no idea what we were going to eat. I knew it was going to be, you know, in my abstinence, but which I'm going to talk about. Um, so then I do a tenth step. So what I do is I do it from the upon awakening in the big book. It tells you, you know, upon awakening, you just do a whole list of, of, of questions and answers. I kind of do that halfway now. I, anyway, I do it um, answering questions sometimes. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes I just go right into one, and I, ta- I just write 10 steps, write 10 steps, write 10 steps. One, two, I might have 20 topics of different things that are happening, going to happen. A lot of times, like I said in steps six and seven, I'm going to go in a situation where I want to act like I like a lady, like I'm not going to have to make amends afterwards. So what I do is I plan how I'm going to show up. How am I going to show up? How am I going to dress? How am I going to speak? I know I'm going to be abstinent no matter what, but 
I'm a no matter what person. So no matter what, I'll be abstinent. But I, how am I going to show up for this occasion? Sometimes it's uncomfortable, so I make phone calls. But I always have a plan. of, And I always, before I go into a restaurant, look at the menu online and know exactly what I'm going to eat, and I call it in. I mean, I email it in. So there's kind of no excuse, except when we go to Disneyland, I have no idea where we're going to stop. So anyway, which I want to talk about. So anyway, so um, so my program is, is lots of writing, and then it could be pages of writing. It's also, I report what my abstinence is, and I'm going to tell you right now what it is. It is, it's not three meals a day, I don't do that. I eat three meals a day, but that's not my abstinence. My abstinence is what I abstain from. I abstain from, from flour completely, 100% no matter what. I have for 30 years, 30 and a half years now. I abstain from chips, I abstain from nuts, and I abstain from candy. And then I have a food plan, that's a tool. My, my food plan is I eat the same stuff all the time. It's going to be oatmeal in the morning and then vegetables and protein for lunch and dinner and sometimes fruit. And that's it. It's not sexy, it's not fun, it just is what it is, and it makes me have the energy to be able to exercise five days a week and have a life in between. It's not, it's not, um, the, the, um, the addiction or the craving went away when I stopped eating the food, you know, foods that I craved, which would be flour. It was like, it was like giving up heroin. It was really hard for ten days. And I, I moaned and moaned and moaned, and moaned and moaned. I was like a wreck. It was really hard, but I gave it up. Um, and all along, it's you know, it's God's will. It's God's will that I don't hurt myself with food anymore. So, anyway, so I do that, and then I get on with life. Being, and I've learned a lot in this program. When I first was going to OA, my sponsor at the time had me do service, and that was taking out the garbage in my first meeting. That was Sunday at Serenity Sunday, which was on Santa Monica Boulevard at the time. And I felt unworthy to take out garbage for all of you. That's how my, my esteem was pretty low. My self-esteem was pretty low. So, but I learned to do service really, like, right in the beginning. And so right now, I run, I run as a volunteer, I run a charity for low-income and homeless people. And I believe in the 12th step like you can, you know, like having had a spiritual experience. I just carry the message, I'm here on a Saturday night saving my life right now. That's why I'm here. We could be at the movies and dinner, out with friends. We could be at a you know, concert. We could be a lot of places, but I'm here to save my life. So, you know, that's what I'm here for because my disease wants me dead. It wants to kill me. It was trying to kill my soul, and it wants me dead. And it tries to sneak in any time I... I turn around, so therefore I always have to work my program in the mornings. I always have to keep in contact with Colleen. And, you know, at the end of um, all my writing in the morning, it doesn't take that long, but being a compulsive overeater is 24-7. So this half hour, 45 minutes in the morning is like nothing compared to what it would be if I had to be in the disease again, which I would rather do anything than have that. That's the worst thing that's ever happened to me. So... At the end of my 10th step and all the writing and all the, I might write her my, you know, all my plans for the day, for the week, all, anything that's on my mind goes on paper. At the end of it, I say, thank you, God. Thank you, Colleen. Because th- I'm grateful. I'm grateful to be sponsored and I'm grateful to God that he's given me the life that I've gotten. You know, this is, this is a wonderful life. So anyway, so um, 
so that's what I do, and then I get on with my life. I work out five days a week. I work out Monday. So these are all tools, by the way. The action plan is, is I'm, um, the action plan is working out and taking action in different areas. So that's what I do. And, um, you know, when I hit my 60th birthday, my husband took me to the um, Caribbean, and we left my metabolism there because I don't have one anymore. I'm telling you, I have, to, the, I have to work out harder every year. It's like I'm 67 and a half now. So it's like I have to work out harder. We have to buy a treadmill for the house because that's what I have to do because it's like it is what it is. Tre- the, the, um, I guess maybe being a 100-pounder. I'm not sure. I don't know. I'm going to start calling some 100-pounders that are my age and figure that out. But um, anyway, so I seem to have to work out more and more, and that's the way it is. And I'm lucky I can. So I have friends that cannot even get up anymore. They're so big because they're in the disease and not working a program, and that's really rough. So what is my timing? Can you tell me? I I have 20 minutes left? Oh, my God. I'm going to take questions and answers. But anyway, so I just wanted to say that... What? Thank you. Okay, I'll, I'm going to stop like in a few minutes. But um, I just want to say that this program is my my abscess is the most important thing in my life, and he's my second most important. Because if I don't have my absence, I don't have my marriage, I don't have my life, I don't have anything. I'll talk about Disneyland because we have five minutes. Um, we I married into a family three um, three kids that were in college when I met. Roger, that's my husband's name, um, 21 and a half years ago. And they are all now in their mid to late 40s. They all have children. So um, we went to Disneyland last week with our 15-year-old granddaughter, our 17-year-old grandson, my stepdaughter, and her husband. And we, last Wednesday, we were there for 13 hours, and we walked 17,000 steps. (laughs) And... It was like no big problem, no big deal. That's, that is a miracle. Somebody who couldn't walk to the door without huffing and puffing at almost 300 pounds, it was almost like it was no big deal. My husband works out a lot, and um, it was no problem. What a blessing is that to be 67 and a half years old, to be with the kids. We played in the pool. We did, we did um, handstands in the pool. I'm old, I'm 67, you know, it's like, oh my God, and I had a blast with them, and I could do all that, I'm strong, I'm strong, and that's only because I'm abstinent, you know, that's the only reason, I'm abstinent, and I use the tools, and I call people, you know, I still get upset over things, I'm very sensitive, I've been told since I was a baby, very sensitive, so if something hurts my feelings, I'm able to now tell people but I also have to call people because I don't want to tell anybody and be mean. I want to make them walk away feeling good about themselves. So I don't want to tear people down anymore like I've done my whole life. So therefore, I'll say, you know, I won't, I won't be mean. I will, what's Al-Anon, which I'm not in, says, don't be mean when you say it. Say what you mean, but don't be mean. Some, you know, mean what you say, say what you mean, but don't be mean when you say it. So I've learned that, you know. But it takes for me, it takes um, writing, it takes phone calls. I have to make phone calls. I make a lot of phone calls just to say my feelings were hurt. Can I run this by you? They tell me what they think and all that stuff, and that way it cools me down and I have time to pause, like pause when agitated or doubtful and ask God for the right direction. So I don't have to make a lot of amends anymore because I'm not making enemies all over the place. 
So anyway, so we had a blast in Disneyland. But that was really neat. When I looked at my phone, it said 17,000 steps. It's like, wow, that's pretty good. I think you're supposed to have 10,000. I never looked at my phone. Somebody told me you could do that. I had no idea. And somebody told me there's a the heart on the phone. I had no idea. I'm going to go back and see how many steps I write. I had no idea. Anyway, so that's just a, an example of what this program has given me. It's given me a life beyond my wildest dreams. It gave me a wedding, an unbelievable wedding that I never in the disease dreamed of having a wedding ever so when Roger and I planned on getting married I had no idea what I wanted my my wedding to look like so I had no idea because I never thought I never dreamed to get married and have a normal life because I didn't feel normal I felt broken and I you know and I tried to uh, you know use spackle food instead of spackle I just tried to fix myself with food rather than with um what what would work so I'm not doing that anymore, and I'm grateful. And what else can I say? This program works if I work it, and it won't if I don't. That's for sure. I know that. So I do my work, and I encourage anybody to do it, and anybody wants to know how I work the steps, please call me afterwards, 818-406-9263. You could call me, and I will absolutely tell you how I work the steps and use the tools. As I said, abstinence is my abstinence. My food plan is my tool, and all the tools are meant for using. They're not for just saying I should do it someday. Should is not in my vocabulary because I don't. This is not a dress rehearsal. This is this is my life. So you know I don't have another life. So when people say, well, maybe later, there might be not not be a later. So I I really believe that. So I just do it now, and you know, and I do whatever I can, whatever I have to do to stay abstinent. I will go to any length because that's what we have to do so as I said if I was going to get a tattoo it'd say no matter what I eat clean I eat sober no matter what there's no excuse not to I'll just end with this um, somebody called me saying that they lost their they gave away their I'm really um, I lost my they lost their abstinence because they went to Thai food and I said, I went to Thailand and didn't lose my abstinence. How could you lose your abstinence in Los Angeles going for Thai food? You know, there's always some way to explain yourself. And we laughed, you know, and then they got to be helped and they got to see that they don't have to be doing that kind of behavior anymore. But there's no excuses anymore. We're in, there's, we've traveled the world and I've never had a problem getting anything I needed to eat. I have never had pizza in Italy and I'm going to live to tell you that it's fine. I'm, I'm alive, and I never will. You know, it's, everything's fine, you know. I got, I got vegetables and chicken in Africa, in the bush of Africa. They made it for me. So it could be done if you want, if you ask for what you need. If you'd ask for it, you get it. I got it. So anyway, that's the story. Any questions? Now I'm going to finish. Thank you, God, again, and thank you for listening. Ten minutes for questions and answers. Hi. Hi. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Um, how do you practice the spiritual principle of humility in your daily routine, in your daily life? In my daily life, I remember what it was like. I will never okay, forget. Oh, how do I practice humility in my daily life? I practice humility in my daily life by remembering what it was like and how serious my disease is. And if I don't practice humility, I get to work the step of amends, and I don't want to do that. So, and I also, I have a, um, I have a vision of how I want to show up in life. So I just, 
I try to do that. I don't do it so well with my husband because I get mad at him, but he's safe. He's safe. But no, everybody else, I really, I really want to show up like a really good human being, you know, make up for lost time because I wasn't so nice when I was in the disease. So I, that's how I do it. Just, you know, this disease took me down. And I always want to remember that God gave me another chance and I'm going to use it. This is not funny to me. This is really serious. Like, God gave me this chance to show up like a human being, and I'm doing it now. So that's how I do it. Just, I have a good memory. It says, we will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on of it. So that's how I do it. Hello. How did you stop eating candy and flour? How did I stop eating candy and flour? I put that on my abstinence, and I sat on my hands and a lot. The flour was hard. I wasn't a big candy eater. I was more of a bakery eater. So um, I, the first 10 days were like, like um, it was horrible. It was really hard. So I went to more and more meetings, and I would just complain. I would raise my hand and complain and complain and complain and complain. I never stopped complaining. And finally, after 10 days, I never wanted it again. That was 30 and a half years ago. So I just, like, made a decision. Also, I, I put nuts on my, um, on my abstinence just a year and a half ago. I was a vegetarian back when. And the doctor said, oh, just take a hand full of nuts when you're hungry. You don't tell a compulsive overeater to do that. <laughs> so I thought, this is not going to work out for me. So I put it on my abstinence. But how I did it was I wrote about nuts for a year before I put it in my abstinence. I never ate the nuts but I wrote about putting it on my abstinence for a year, so I thought about it before I did it. The flower I didn't think about. I knew that it was going to take me down, so I put it on my abstinence right away. And I did it with working with a sponsor, doing a lot. I'm a big writer. when it comes, That's my tool of choice is writing. So And working with a sponsor. So I guess a few tools and making phone calls. I made a decision. I don't want to hurt myself with food anymore, and I would hurt myself if I ever put flour in my face again. So that's how I did it. And God's God, God could do anything I can't do. It's always God. It's not me. I know that for sure. Hello. Hi. I was wondering about when you mentioned your previous sponsor said that having two yogurts was for two people. Like, how did you come to accept what a portion is for you? How did I come to accept what a portion is for me. It's taken years to figure that out because being a 100-pounder and going to a nutritionist and them telling me a half a cup of lettuce is a portion is insane. It's insane. So I talked to other 100-pounders and I would eat with other 100-pounders. And what I found was when I weighed almost 300, I ate a whole chicken. And it kept going down and down and down and down and now it's a chicken breast. So it was not where at almost 300 pounds I ate like a 150-pounder. I gradually went down. I think, you know, that's what I did. There's some people that just start eating like a 150-pounder. I could not do I would have gone insane. So um, I watched other people because I did not know what a portion was. I had no clue. And as I said, you go to Kaiser and you ask your nutritionist, they'll say, eat a half a cup of lettuce and, you know, and that's not going to work for me. So, um as I healed and didn't need the food so much, I was able to cut portions. Because every time I write, I heal something. So it just, after all these years, it just heals. So that's what it does for me. I'm not a portion eater anymore. Like a big, sometimes I'll have a big salad, but for the most part, not. You know, so, um, but I think that's how it does the writing and the calling my sponsor. I still do that. 
I act like a newcomer still. I'm just the same way. I still do my writing and call her with my writing and send it to her and all that stuff. It hasn't changed. I've never not had a sponsor in this whole program. I've not gone to meetings for sometimes, you know, periods, but I've never not had a sponsor. I've never not sent my food in. I've never not worked the steps. You're welcome. Hello. Hi. Uh, you said you got into the program because you wanted to learn the language for somebody else. <laughs> Without outing him too much, how did the two of you, how did he learn the language, or how did you teach him the language in your, in your, in your relationship so, so he understands what you need? How did I teach it? The man, I don't even know his name anymore. No, no, no. Oh, my husband? Your husband. How did you teach your... I don't. He doesn't have to know my disease at all. My Oh, how did I teach my husband the language of the 12 steps? I didn't. I don't know if he knows the language of the 12 steps. It doesn't matter to me. I'm at... It's my disease, not his. So he, he respects what I eat. He knows what I eat. He, was, he, you know, but we don't eat the same food. We don't eat any of the same foods. I cook for him. I've never tasted stuff that I bake for him, ever. I've never tasted this bread that I make him every morning. I, he eats every morning. Never tasted it. We don't, it doesn't matter. Another person doesn't have to understand my disease. I don't think, you know, I don't think that, so that would not, it, it's never come up. We could ask him, you know, afterwards if you want. <laughs> I don't know if he does understand. He's with, he knows my friends in OA. So, I, you know, we speak, we speak some 12-step program language. I don't know. I never, I'm not a very codependent person, I don't think, because I really never came up. And I, my absence is the most important thing than my husband's, my most, second most important thing. And he's really important to me. So you've got to know my absence is really important. But I don't know if he understands the disease talk or not. If Sponsi's call, he's not listening in on the conversations. And my friends come over, and I guess they may talk 12-step. I don't know. He might be used to that. We've been together over 21 years. He might be used to it. We could ask him afterwards, because I don't know the answer. <laughs> it never came up, ever. So, sorry. <laughs> Hi. Hi. Um, when you're traveling, and I imagine you travel a lot, a lot, what tools other than writing do you use when it's hard to call other fellows or um, plan we have traveled almost all over the world on cruises as well as regular tours and things like that. The phone works everywhere. So I've called, I've called, I called my, our, 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 um, on a cruise, our ship got stuck somewhere in the, um, near Nova Scotia. And I called my sponsor because I didn't know what we were going to do for a day in the middle of the ocean. The, the ship broke. I make phone calls. I, um, they have meetings everywhere too so if I I've gone to meetings at different places if I had to but I do a lot of writing and as far as like planning my food I just email my food to, um, wherever I'm from these days we could do all that stuff now back 20 you know 30 years ago I didn't call my food in yet ever I didn't do that then because it would be on the phone like in 1994 I remember it was 1992 1993 I would call my food in so I probably, you know, we didn't, I met my husband in 96 or 98, something like that. So when we started traveling, we had cell phones by that time, and I would just call my food in until I started emailing and texting and all that. But you could do that all over the world. You could get an international phone thing and then just call. But I write wherever I go, and I bring my OA material where I go. And I always bring my computer where I go or my iPad, and I write. I plan, because I... It's no matter what. I, there's no option. I will not ever, never hurt myself with food. I'd rather jump out of this window 
I'm not kidding you. So I've had to get the conviction that I'm not going to hurt myself with food no matter what. And then I do what I have to do. It's also I don't want to do it anymore. It's like after 30 years, if I wanted to, I would, I'd be in trouble. But I lost that desire a long time ago to hurt myself. It goes away, I promise. Just keep working, 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 working. Never. I've never taken back food. Because I don't think that I can't take a chance. No. What would I take back? You know, I, I don't, I abstain from chips, flour, nuts, candy. What? Pizza's flour. So, yeah, so I abstain from that. I would never take those back. No. I'm not going to all of a sudden become powerful over food. I can't, I, you know, no. <laughs> no. The disease is right in the, this closet over there doing push-ups, wanting to kill me still. I don't believe that the disease goes away. The desire for excess food or these foods go away, but the disease doesn't go away, so I would never, ever think to take back foods. No. But thank you for asking. No. Hello. Um, thanks for your share. I was wondering if you could talk about what your conception of a higher power is and how you maintain that Okay. The, my conception of a higher power is... What could I say about my higher... My higher power is something that wants the best for me and that only wants good for me. It's like my higher power is... My, my disease is right here. It looks like a devil, and then my higher power is here. My higher power protects me and guides me again for everything. So it's something. It's not a, an old man in the sky. It's in me. It's around me. It's above me. It's everywhere. So because I believe that God is everywhere. So God is everywhere, and God wants good for everybody. And it's and it's available to anybody if we want it bad enough. So we have to do what it takes to do God's will. It tells us to do that in the AA 12 and 12. At the end of step one, it says. It is when we do God's will that we we use it. I can't even, like, because I'm nervous right now, so I can't. Um, anyway, anybody could quote that? It is when we do God's will that everything turns out right. Can you can you say it? Say it. Thank you. Go ahead. You can't? I can't either because I feel like, oh, my God. Anyway, look at the end of the third step, and it tells us to use do God's will. And when we do that, all is well. So... I can call me, 818-406-9263, and I'll tell you all about how I how God, because I have a very, very, very deep spiritual practice and a spiritual life, very deep. I'm a practitioner at my place where I do all my spiritual work, and I meditate every day, and I use, I use that. So, but it's hard when everybody's looking at me to talk about God. It's really, it's like telling me to be naked right now. I can't do that. Well, well, well. you said thank you, so thank you.